Welcome to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want to check out that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. And my co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out that company, visit MuskieMayhemTackle.com. I guess we'll call him the co-host because he's sitting there right with Brad. It's Matt Seifert. I'm glad that Matt's back. It's really awesome to talk to him. I know he has at least one fan club member for sure. Like, super fan, Matt. He wants um, more Matt Seifert all the time. I have a, I get messages from my buddy, and he's like, he basically wants you to just pretty much take over my job or Brad's job or just move in as the third wheel. So it's cool that you're back, Matt. I, I know we got a good story today to talk to you about something about some issues you had over opening weekend. It was uh, somewhat disastrous from what Brad tells me, and so that, I'd like to hear it straight from you. I guess, how you how you guys doing tonight? It's been a strange week for me. It's been a, a very difficult week for me, and I'm just trying to get through this podcast tonight because, you know, I I have issues that I, that I have to deal with, Brad, and you know what they are, and Matt, you know what they are, and I'm just glad that we're going to still get this done. As we've done every week for the past, I don't know, two years, we're putting on an episode, and... Uh, we're going to get another one out to you today. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, I, I'm glad that we're going through with this, even though you are in your situation right now. For those that don't know or whatever, um, I'm sure they'll shortly know. But uh, I give you credit, man. You know, uh, we've made a commitment to this podcast. You're rising to the occasion once again. So I appreciate that. I'm going to basically hand it over to Matt. We're going to listen to a story about Friday before Minnesota Muskie opener. And uh, Matt had kind of a wild, wild ride here. So he's had a, a little bit of a rough road for the beginning of the Muskie season. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys, first of all. Hopefully we can make this easy for everybody. I'm glad I'm here. I co-host anytime you guys want me to. If I'm ever here guiding at Brad's, I'll always jump on it. I'm welcome. Kind of been a crazy season so far. I actually got to jump on the season on the St. Croix River. It opens a week sooner than the Minnesota lakes. And that was actually very tough fishing. And the water was down eight and a half feet from normal opener length or depth. So that was, I thought it was going to be super easy and it was super tough. <laughs> so I, anyway, so last Friday, I guess I have to tell the story of my disaster. I'm trying to get two young boys and my wife in the car to come up here to have a party slash opening weekend. We'll see how this goes kind of a thing first year bringing the family up for opener usually pretty diehard on opener weekend but it's 102 degrees i'm going up 94 there's traffic everywhere i mean it's worst case scenario right told the wife we gotta leave at noon we would get on the road at 2 30 or something and there's it's awful i look down and it's so hot i got the 621 behind the non-diesel truck shouldn't has no right to be pulling that boat i look in the or uh look in my gauges and my truck's overheating pretty bad and we're kind of stuck in traffic still and we're almost at the end of the traffic i'm like babe we got to roll the windows down turn the ac up <laughs> she says what <laughs> and i mean it is blistering hot on the freeway there's a big cloud in the sky so it's extremely hot now my truck has a dvd player in it with that headphones for the kids. Now I'd never paid for this truck, but I, I bought it used and it had all this cool stuff on it. So the kids are in the back watching a DVD with their headphones on. And all of a sudden I got the windows down and I look back and they're both sweating and they realize that about eight minutes later, they take their headphones off. They go, 
dad, it's really hot here. Why do you have the window down? And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. My truck's breaking. We were still in the city. The truck's already overheating. So anyways, I checked the radiator fluid, checked the oil. Everything was fine. But I think my thermostat was a little stuck. But anyways, this continues. It starts well, like, okay, the truck's cooled down. I got the heater on, the window's down fire up the air conditioning, close the windows. And my wife's like, I don't know if I can keep doing this hot and cold thing. I think we should leave the windows down. And the kids are yelling at me because they can't hear their movie. I'm about ready to pull over and give them both the spanking. I mean, I am at wit's end. Um, anyway, so then I look at it. I'm kind of getting over it, right? Things are looking up. The truck's riding. It's just a little hot now, but it's, it's not gaining and we're and I can't go my normal 85. I'm stuck going 75. So I'm having a little bit of a freak out on that itself. And I look at my rearview mirror <laughs> and my Ranger windshield is not there. <laughs> the middle of the windshield is just, there's some shards of glass around me. I just, I never saw a rock fly up or anything. I don't know. It was probably so hot it just exploded. I have no idea. So I told my wife, I said, well, that's just great. <laughs> This is great. And she says, what? I said, my windshield is gone. It's broken. There's glass all over my boat. And I have all the trolling stuff, the mass, the, all my casting boxes, every rod. I mean, anything loaded for bear to be up north for two months. And uh, so it took me about three hours to vacuum it. I finally got here. though. One piece truck was fine. Got the windshield disconnected from the boat and vacuumed the boat for about two hours. And then every time I hit a bump the next day, there'd be glass falling out of every orifice on the boat. <laughs> and uh, anyways, we stayed up too late. I had way too much fun. Got uh, uh, two and a half hours of sleep. We left it. I woke Dusty up at six. Went to a small lake uh, south of Brad's. Never fished it before. Thought it'd be a little weaker. So I had a schedule from the other lakes. And, we actually saw three fish. It was fun. Um, didn't know the lake, but it was so hot. I think by one, we were like, okay, I think we should take off soon. We left at 145 or something. And, I, and I'd and i never been to this lake before. And I was so excited to go musky fishing. I forgot to learn to catch <laughs> I felt like an idiot. So then I'm leaving. I get, we're back in the boat into the boat launch. And I hear ding, ding, low fuel, low fuel warning. Uh, my truck shouldn't be pulling this boat so it's not like I got 35 miles that I can go so we get the truck we get the boat on the trailer and I look and there's a gas station 5 miles away but it's the opposite direction there's one 11 miles away in the right direction and I thought I looked at Dusty and I go this thing doesn't get really good gas when it's pulling this boat but I think we could probably make 11 miles and he goes oh yeah we should go for it <laughs> And we were two miles from the gas station when the truck shut down on a huge hill with the guardrail, of course. So pulled over, and it was no big deal. I jumped out, and a nice old couple pulled right away and took me to the gas station. Got it figured out. Wouldn't take any money for it. She gave me a little scolding, though, didn't she? Yeah, she <laughs> That hurt a little bit. Even I got back in the truck, and Dusty goes, yeah, that was nice, but she told you to keep it filled up. And I said, yeah, and Dusty said, yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> she said, as I left, she goes, I said, you guys are the best. I sure appreciate it. And she said, just remember, always keep her filled up. <laughs> so that was a little hard to swallow. Okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'll remember that. Yeah, thanks a lot. So that was my opening. We didn't catch any fish and ran out of gas. And 
broken windshield. <laughs> stayed up too late. Then did it again the next night. Stayed up too late, but we had a good time. It was fun. That's my opener. I got to you know. tell you, my last few days haven't been good, that good, but I was uh, muted myself and I was laughing over here. That was <laughs> that was an awesome story. I really needed that. Uh, that's good. Brad, that story yeah. told from Matt is way better than when you told it to me. Uh, you were a little busy earlier today when I started bringing it up, Jeff. So, uh, yeah, I figured uh, I'm guessing the listeners out there right now are, are laughing as well. The neat thing about Matt is he doesn't hold back. He'll always share, no matter if it's up or down. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, we made the most of it. We had that, started pouring rain. We figured Brad was getting dumped on trolling. So Dusty said, isn't there a good bar around here? So I said, yes, there is. We're going to Leaf Valley Mercantile. We pulled in there. We had a bloody and some wings. It was great. So we made the most of it, came back, fed the kids, and we tried to get back out of Miltona for a little bit, but it was so hot it wasn't even. It was a brutal, brutal day, you know, opening day. For myself, we went out trolling. Had a couple guys here from Indiana, the Baddock Brothers, buddy of mine from uh, the Twin Cities, uh, Stuart Mays, and then Kerry jumped in with us as well. So we were running quite a few lines, but honestly, I did not mark a fish until right before dark when we were tearing down. And we had a big giant beef brisket on the smoker. And that kind of became more important than catching a musky on that day. <laughs> so we rolled in here at, at home just a little after dark. Yeah, we just had a good time on the water more than anything. But, you know, it kind of leads us into our next whole topic, actually. You know, the crazy thing is uh, Sunday we went out casting, ended up getting a couple really nice fish in the boat. And I started playing, looking out in the open water and just checking things out. And the fish were starting to transition already. And one of the topics that Matt and I have been kind of discussing, actually, before the season even, is when do these fish transition to the open water? And one of the things that we've been really talking about is, is it water temp or is it a calendar time frame? And one of the things that I would say that I can relate to you know, I'm a duck hunter and duck, you know, certain ducks move on a calendar time frame versus a water temp or ice temp, if you will. And it's starting to kind of, we're putting this little piece of the puzzle together that, you know, muskies are actually doing kind of the same thing. And I'll let Matt kind of speak on that a little bit as well. But uh, it's really strange. And one of the things that I'm seeing, you know, I look back at all the different years and there's certain openers where I've just crushed fish right on opening day, get three to five in the boat on opener day, trolling out in the open water. The last couple of years, we'll get one or maybe two, but it's been really strange. And I honestly think as the season progresses the next week or two, those fish really start showing up out there and we actually start really getting on them. Yeah, I would agree completely. The My first three years open water trolling, we would go, uh, I didn't guide for it. We were trying to keep it a secret. We were catching so many. It was so fun. But we went up, I think the first year was the 17th. And we caught seven or eight. I think we caught nine, actually, our first time trying it. And it just snowballed from there. Where we would catch so many. And we figured out the 19th was always our best day. 
in that third year. But we were only doing it that week with just a few, um, another guide buddy of mine, some friends, because we kind of figured it out on a random working on a cabin weekend. And uh, we weren't even want to be on that lake that, you know, they don't show up on the rocks till July 4th, so we didn't want to be there. So it was kind of, for me, it was like, okay, it's that third week of June is when it, when it really pops. And I believe that. And then for the next four, it started guiding for the open water then. Um, for the next two or three years, it was still the same. It was always the same. And I remember it was 2012 when my second year guiding, I had everything scheduled. I don't have the luxury now as I'm guiding full time at that point of going early to a bite. You know, you had, you made your call in April and you stuck, you know, you booked your trip. So I remember that year and I'll just, well, it was on Vermillion. There's a guy that the first guy that ever trolled out there, Jeremy Johnson, whose parents own Whispering Winds Resorts and head of the Lakes Bay. He caught a 56 on opening day and no one had ever caught, you know, as far as we knew, we had a small group, a tight group. Jeremy wasn't in that group, but he had been there the longest. I mean, he was the guy, I think that was the first guy to ever do it. But, and then some, a friend of mine that had a cabin there went there the next week and caught two. But it wasn't like a normal bite, right? He got one, okay? Or, um, and then Sean caught two. But that third week of July, you know, and then I thought, well, it's water temps, water temps. You know, it's got to be. Third week of June. Man. Yeah, I'm sorry, third week of June. Uh, it's all water temps. That's what I used to believe. And growing up with my dad crappie fishing, it was water temps are key, which they are. Uh, you want to find fish in the shallows. I just taught, I was taught from a young age that water temps are so important. And I remember I, I've fished, I guide crappies, I guide walleyes, and I guide muskies. Water temps to me are pretty important. <laughs> I meet Bob Benson on Lake Vermilion, and he was the first guy to ever tell me. And Bob doesn't fish for any other fish. So a lot of times whenever he said something, I was like, okay, whatever. I know he's really a good muskie fisherman, but sometimes I don't think you're right at all. I really didn't. And he always said, who cares what the water temp is? It doesn't matter. It never matters when you must be fish. I said, well, that's not true, Bob. He goes, it's absolutely the truth. You'll, you'll agree with me in 20 years, he told me. And I, he's right. I would have to agree with him. Um, the water temp doesn't matter. Whenever you think you know what's going on because the water temps are a certain temp, you, he said, what do you do every day? You watch a muskie's, muskie's reaction when you get a follow. Everything's planned off that. You have a plan doesn't matter until you see the first fish first fish tells you what's going on doesn't matter what the water temp is and when you think you're doing the right thing water temp wise and you fish that way the whole day and don't see a fish then you're really stupid that's what he told me and he's right if you're not seeing him do something else and you might be fishing an august pattern in october or you might be fishing an october pattern in september i mean this it doesn't matter but so getting back to this calendar year thing i think that gets and when i first said that bob told me he said, I have, I've been here for, I've been on Vermillion since the fish were 46 inches. That was the biggest fish in the lake. And the fish don't show up on the rocks. It doesn't matter what the temp is all year until July 1st. And I mean, for the most part, he's right. I mean, every now and then they'll show up for a day or two, but he's right. The mass of the fish don't show up until after July 1st. So in 2012, they showed up on July 1st. But in 2018, they showed up on July 17th. There were no water till July 17th. And they slowly tapered onto the rocks. There wasn't this massive movement where everybody was catching them in a foot of water, burning bucktails. But this calendar year thing gets me more and more every year. And it's 
funny. I don't know if other people think about it as much as we do, but when we guide, we book the trip. So you're kind of stuck, but you book the trip for the third week of June every year and you can't go wrong. It's really a fact. I mean, you can't, the fish are going to bite the third week of June in the open water is your best bet. So I guess that was kind of a long way around that story, but. No, I, I think you, you touched on a bunch of stuff there, man. And I mean, even myself, like when I'm booking this whole trolling game, it's the third and fourth week of June. I mean, that that's the ticket um, for consistency, you know, over the years. And I think a lot of that relates to, I mean, I'm just starting to see the Cisco's. Here we are a week into the season. What is it today? The 12th, 14th, whatever it is, 13th. And, you know, I'm starting to see the Cisco's really, really push out to that open water. And I think a big part of that is, you know, the mayfly hatches that we're finally starting to see. And Matt and I have talked about this as well, Jeff. You know, one of the things that we haven't seen for like three, four years is a really consistent, good mayfly hatch. And when those mayflies start hatching out there, it really drives the Cisco's out to that open water. And it's been so many years. I mean, we get a little hatch, you know, and guys are, oh, the mayflies are everywhere. No, they're not. I mean, until they're sticking in your boat, you pull into an access or a gas station where there's a ton of mayflies sticking on pumps or whatever you're doing, you know, it, it's amazing. And when you have that really, really good hatch, it really drives your bait fish out to the middle of the lake. So I, I honestly think we're probably having a better hatch right now than we've had in the last three, four years. And I, I think that's kind of promising for that open water bite. Yeah, I agree. And it even still comes back to the calendar thing. Because this, earlier this week, people are like, whoa, look at all the bugs. I saw these posts on Facebook. It's a bug hatch. It's a bug hatch. And then the next day, they didn't have any bugs in their boat. So they're mock bug hatches. The bugs are on the same calendar year as the muskies. So you're not going to get that, not be able to walk in your boat without falling over from slipping on mayflies. You might not even get it all year, but you're not going to get that until the third week of June, you, typically, in the areas we fish, which is almost all of Minnesota. But we did have a couple mock hatches last Tuesday and Wednesday, from what I heard from everybody. Um, but it's slowed down the last couple nights. But now you're going to see the, hopefully we see the good hatch. What Brad was talking about the last three years without the hatches is what I've seen on Vermilion. Leach, he's been in western Minnesota. I've been here a little bit, but uh, what we've seen the last three years is bugs hatching out of the harder bottom. And like we've talked about on here before, the mayflies live in the bottom for five to seven years. Fish flies, I think, are three to four years. So you have these bugs that are down there, and if the conditions aren't right, they're not going to spawn. But we've lost our deep water spawning mayflies the last three years. Would you agree? Uh, hands down, I would agree with that, Matt. And what I will say is Monday I was out and I just literally took a peek. I, we were casting Monday, but we drove out there and just looked at it with the side imaging, you know, and you, you put your regular sonar on and it looks like a rainstorm underneath the water that they were coming up. And it's the first time that I've seen it in the ultra mud, deeper water. So, yeah, uh, I would say that these, like what you call the mock hatch is more than in that harder bottom, you know, the gravel or the sand. Yeah. But I did finally see some out in the mud. So it's encouraging. I mean, I can't promise everybody that it's going to happen because I have no clue if it's going to happen, but it looks like it might this year. Yes, I've seen more movement in the deep, deep water than I have the last three years. 
on the down imaging and 2D sonar, which is a good sign. I think this might be the year because the warmer years are always better. And it's been a rough open water bite the last three years. I mean, dealing with vermilion finding 17 foot sand flats with mud deposits in them. I mean, the only place you, you think you there's mayflies hatching because you're trolling in 50 feet of water, but you're downwind of a 17 foot sand flat where they all just hatch from. And they're like, oh, we didn't catch anything today. That's because the muskies aren't there. The muskies are on the bugs. Because the ciscos are on the bugs. Even if you see ciscos out in the open water, they know where the ciscos are being foolish and trying to swim around outside of a pack eating bugs. And they they take full advantage of it. But it makes for a lot tougher bite. They're spread out. It's almost like shoreline drilling at that point. And I know here you're you're dealing with a deeper, you know, 28 to, what, 50 foot of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, what you're talking about on that shallower side on the harder bottom, yeah, it's 28 to 45 ish, um, depending on the body of water. And, you know, you get past that 45, 50 and you're out deeper. Now you're touching mud. And so I would agree with that 100%. The last couple of years, it's been more of a hard, hard bottom bite than it has been that mud. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm encouraged to think that this mud side is going to turn on this year. We'll see what happens. Yeah. The warmer years have always been good for me, and we haven't had a good hatch in three years. I have a feeling it's going to be good this year. The problem is on some of the lakes that these guys are dealing with is the water temps, which, I mean, we can transition to that at any point here. But, yeah, um, I think you guys, as far as, you know, thinking about open water and the warm weather, it's just every year, like you guys know, we're all learning every year. We don't, as soon as you think you're good, you're wrong. Um, I thought I was a really good musky fisherman in 09 when all the lakes had a bunch of fish in them. I thought I was king tut. <laughs> and now I'm eight times smarter and catch half as many fish, but there's half as many fish to catch, so or a third of the many fish to catch. But it's so much fun to learn all this stuff and and be wrong a lot of times. And I guess that's what keeps us musky fishing. It's not easy, but the learning aspect's the funnest part. But I think with the calendar year, you can expect the same thing every year. If you're planning a trip, planning at the right time of year, you're not going to have crazy. I mean, there's somebody out there with a shallow open water bite. I'm sure somewhere that caught a whole bunch last weekend, but I haven't heard of who it was or seen it, but you don't, I mean, for the most part, if we can get a deep water mayfly hatch this year, we're going to have a great open water bite, which I think I'm just guessing this year it's going to happen. If your lake's cool enough to fish, which I think we need to talk about here pretty quick, but yeah, that's that's the next topic. I mean, uh, in the last couple last couple days, and I know you've heard about it too, Jeff. Um, I've talked to Herbie a couple times in this last week. He's down on a bunch of different waters in southern Wisconsin. He's seeing ninety degree surface temps. I mean, when is the last time we've seen this type of water temp? in the month of June, especially the first week of the season for Minnesota. Southern Wisconsin's been open, what, Jeff, three, four weeks? Uh, Southern Wisconsin's been open for probably five. I think it was actually May 1st, so it's been, yeah, roughly five weeks. Yeah, so, I mean, they've had a month and a week um, of fishing, but, I mean, I can't. Can you think of a time that Southern Wisconsin had that issue as well? I mean, this early in the season, usually it's, you know, the second or third week in July. Yeah, actually, I think that I talked to Jeff Hansen from down there quite a bit. And usually I think it's 
Because there's a certain time frame that he doesn't book trips every year because he's like, it's just, it just never works out. I want to say it's right around the 4th of July until, you know, somewhere somewhere in the 4th of July, 7th of July, somewhere in there. And then he, he doesn't book trips for roughly two weeks. And I know right now he's canceling trips already. He hasn't, he hasn't canceled every trip. It's kind of on a day-to-day basis. He told me he canceled, I think, today's trip, I believe he canceled. And today or last night, they got a bunch of rain down there and they had a bunch of wind today because, you know, we're talking surface water temperatures, Brad, and everybody knows it, that, you know, we're still really early into the season. So it's not like we're that heat's penetrated all the way down. So if you get some rain and you get some mixing with some wind, it can change that water temperature fairly quickly. And I think that he's hoping to run a trip tomorrow, but he also told me that he's starting to run only half day trips and he's starting now at. 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning. So, you know. Yeah, that, that's smart. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a good move. Matt, Matt's clients that he has tomorrow uh, were out on the water yesterday, was it, Matt? Yeah, yesterday. And he said he went off the back of his boat off the ladder and he steps on the first run and he says, oh, that's nice and warm. And he steps on the second run. Oh, that's a little colder. And then he jumped in and went, that's really cold. I'm getting back in the boat. So, I mean, honestly, you're right. It is just the surface. And I can imagine some of the darker bodies of water are probably a little bit warmer than some of the clear bodies that, that I typically fish. So, you know, I, it's frustrating to think here we are. We're a week in the Minnesota season. You're five weeks in southern Wisconsin. You're two weeks into the northern Wisconsin. <laughs> it's a little scary. It really, truly is. But we have been in a weird weather pattern. And so, you know, honestly, uh, we were in a drought here in my area for like two months. And uh, we finally got some rain two days ago, got a little bit more rain yesterday, and we finally got some wind. And it definitely has made a difference. But literally, we have not had a cloud in the sky until then for two months. And and that sun is hot, and it's just penetrating the water on calm, zero-wave days. So... You know, a little bit of wind will stir the lake. It'll mix that stuff up a little bit and uh, cool it back down. And it was obvious yesterday I seen 72, I've seen 74 degrees. By the end of the day, in some of the, the shallower bays, I started seeing you know, 78 to 79 degrees again. So I, I don't know. we got to be conscious of it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, like you were saying, you get those water temperatures and right now it's just surface, but pretty soon if you get too much mixing, eventually it's going to be, it's going to start to penetrate all the way down and you're, you know, the early heat is not, it's not a good thing regardless of how it plays out. Unless of course we get a massive cold front, which we've seen it happen. Heck, we had a massive cold front just before the season started. The Northern Wisconsin season started with the, you know, 23 degrees overnight in the Northwoods. So it's, you know, it, it can happen. I mean, we can, we can reverse course, but to be this hot in June definitely doesn't, it doesn't bode well for July. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's mentally challenging and mentally draining, if you will, because, you know, I was hearing from a ton of different anglers, you know, they're saying, Brad, what are we going to do? I mean, this, this is horrible. I've never seen it like this. And, and panic mode settled in and, and all of a sudden we got some rain. So, that definitely helped. I think the second rain we got, it was a lot cooler. You know, the first rain was one of those really, really warm 75 to 80 degree uh, rainstorms. We need some of that cool down. That's for sure. Across the whole Midwest, the way it's coming. And 
I've been talking to a guy down in West Virginia. Uh, I've been talking to some guys in Kentucky. And, you know, they're, they're fishing a lot of rolling water or moving water in river systems, and they're battling with it as well. Surprisingly enough, though, they have been cooler than what we have been up here in the Northland. So it's really a strange weather pattern that we've been in. Yeah, and I think something to be touched on quick for new anglers. I said on the podcast last time here, I use a few extra trips, and I got some new people who are new uh, to monkey fishing as well, and they had no idea about the 80-degree temp thing. And then I got the other, you know, the Facebook and Instagram warriors bashing everybody for being on the lake because it was 81 degrees when they showed up after work at 6 p.m. A good rule of thumb for a guy that's been on the water a lot is if you get up at, you know, within the first two hours of life, and you launch your boat, and it's under 80, you can go fishing. But if you wake up, and it's 6 a.m., and you launch that first hour of light, and it's over 80, then the fish will die. Period. But go easy on the new guy. If you see him out there, try to educate him. You don't have to you know, rip my new one. They have no idea. When I first started monkey fishing, I started fishing in the metro, and it was August. I had no idea. And I killed a couple of fish and I didn't know what was wrong. So I actually called a guide that I found in a newspaper and asked him why the fish died. And he told me, you can't fish right now. I had no idea. You know, these guys don't know. So it's just good to educate people, but don't be a snob about it, I guess. But that's another rule of thumb. You know, don't go bashing somebody because they're out fishing. Because those fish don't die unless the water's over 80 in the morning. It's true surface temp. Surface temp at 5 o'clock in the afternoon after a sunny 84-degree day. It's going to be 84 degrees. And then the next guy you talk to, his finder reads 81. I mean, it's just every, but if you trust your depth finder, you go out in the morning, and it's below 80, go ahead and go fishing that day. But if it's 80 when you wake up in the morning, I would suggest staying off the lake. The fish will die, but that was just something I wanted to say. I, I don't know if that's anybody cares. But. <laughs> no, I, I think that's valid. You know, I, I think there's a ton of new people in the Western world. Like you said, man, plain and simple. If they haven't heard or they haven't learned, I mean, that's part of the game. And, and when you're new, you're trying to learn. And so the more we can feed, the better. Yeah, in a nice way. Also, another thing I wanted to mention was the amount of pressure we're going to see on the northern lakes coming up here. You guys were talking about 90-degree water temps in southern Wisconsin. Those guys can't fish. They're going to go fishing somewhere, and it's going to, they're going to have to drive north. So, And the smaller dark water lakes in Hayward area, I assume, are going to get a little hot, too. I don't, I've never fished Hayward. I don't know how many dark water lakes, but I know there's smaller bodies of water, and they're going to get too hot. So we're going to see pressure. We've all seen it with COVID um, already. The increased pressure in fishing, which is also a really cool thing, seeing all the families out fishing is so cool. I'll take that. I'll take a little added pressure to see families out on the water any day of the week. But the pressure thing is going to get pretty crazy. It's already doubled with COVID or tripled even on some lakes. Increased pressure. We're going to see it. Every resort's booked. Hotels are booked. Guys are going to be sleeping in their trucks. How do you deal with increased pressure? There's a lot of ways to do it. I'd like to hear Brad's take on it as well. I'm going to just throw out a quick one here to get this rolling, but the 
normal spots are going to be heavily pressured. And with the COVID thing, now you have all these Canadian fishermen, you have a lot of families with these people. So they might be at the resort all day and they're going to show up evening after you found two giant fish. They're, they're pretty active, but active big fish show themselves to everybody. So you, you think you got this sweet system because there's only eight guys on the lake. And at sundown, when you're going to go back for the major, 14 dudes show up on your spot and you can't get on it. So how do you deal with that? So here's something I'm going to say, and I think this is really important for everybody to listen to. Your lakes are shut down. You didn't have a trip planned up north. You now have to plan one. Don't plan it on the moon. Everyone else planned it on the moon. You won't be able to get on a spot. Plan your trip when it's not a good moon phase. At least you can fish where you want to fish then. It's getting that bad up here, up north. And the farther north you go, the worse it gets. So try to, and I'm not saying this to be, to try to get people to catch less fish. When you can actually pattern a fish and fish it, you have a lot better chance of catching it than going up on a full moon or no moon when there's 48 other fishermen on the lake because you can't get to that fish because every active fish shows itself to everybody. It's just how it works. If you find that, if you fish that spot, the fish is going to follow your bait. So you get to that point, it's like vermilion is the perfect example. One of the most, you know, low density fish populations in the state and the highest pressure of any water. But there's lots of resorts. There's restaurants. It's a beautiful lake. It's busy, really busy. But if you go on a full moon, it's almost impossible. I mean, you just got to fish. You can't. You can't go back on fish. It doesn't work. Not if you're going to go back at sundown. You can go back in the middle of the day, but you can't go back any other time. So think about that. You want to lessen your pressure, go on a, a non-good moon phase and just fish hard. And then if you're there on a the moon phase, a lot of things, and I want to hear, you know, any ideas Brad has too, but a lot of times what I'll do on Vermilion, I mean, it's a huge lake. It's 46 miles from one end to the other. And people say, oh, you know Vermilion good. You fish the whole lake, you know, almost daily. Like, well, sort of, kind of, sort of. And I think I know it really good. Yeah, I'm really good. Until there's people on every spot. And, uh, well, where do I fish now? You know, I can't. And it's, it's pretty funny what you can do with, like being in the metro, you can go dock fish a shoreline, 10 miles of a shoreline, and you get done and you're laughing because you caught three fish. You never even fished it before. There's a little breeze coming into a shoreline. Just go fish it. I mean, at that point, that's some of the only things you can do. That's one thing I'll do. And the best part about it is you're learning. You're going to learn new spots. You'll go, you'll go. And the chips don't have any of that cool stuff on the shoreline. You'll be running, running. There's a huge rock pile in six feet of water right off somebody's dock and there's three giants laying on it. I mean, that's the kind of cool stuff you'll find. So sometimes the pressure can be a good thing to move off the key spots and just run shorelines or run a weed bed that nobody fishes because it's just kind of junk weed or whatever. And fish it. I know when you fish weeds, you're supposed to go slow time, but I get a little antsy when I'm fishing new spots. I, try, I move too fast a lot of times, but that's why I always get stuck. Like, just go to a shoreline, just fish it fish it fast, especially up on a shield lake where you can fish rocks, you can cruise, but don't be afraid to just run a shoreline. What do you think, Brad? Well, I think, you know, you, you touched on a really good key point and that's secondary, the secondary point to where you would normally fish, right? I mean, if, if everybody's hitting that primary spot, those fish will slide off to the secondary, right? And, and that's what you're talking about. And you're talking about fresh water, that they haven't been chased or beat up. 
Um, and that's valid. I, the thing that I would maybe potentially add, I haven't been on Vermillion for quite a few years, so I don't know what's happening up there after dark. I mean, you know, one of the ways that we used to beat pressure all the time on Black was we would fish later into the night. And I think there's a misconception of what night fishing is that people fish 45 minutes after the sun goes down and they think they're night fishing. Well, a lot of times that bite might not be till midnight, one o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. So think about that a little bit too. And, you know, you were discussing about water surface temp. Um, a lot of times you might want to just go to bed early, get up early and get out there before anybody else fishes as well. I mean, that's another way to beat the traffic and potentially uh, get on one of those fish that you've seen the day before. There's a couple different things that you can do to try to beat the system as far as pressure. And uh, think outside the box. Do some different stuff like Matt was talking about. And it's only going to be beneficial for more fish in your net. That's the bottom line. And that might be timing. It might be, uh, like you said, going on an off peak of the moon, which I think is that was a great valid point that uh, I guess I had never thought about, but definitely, I mean, if you think back to fish catches, that's been kind of a primary, really. You know, there's always a window. And what is that window? And it's usually one or two windows a day. You find them and then you utilize them. And usually that window will change by an hour every day just based off the moon. But sometimes, I, I think we talked about it maybe two years ago on the podcast, yeah, I had a bite at five o'clock every day. For a yeah, month and a half. And it, yeah. And sometimes it moves five minutes a month. Sometimes it moves five minutes a day. But the photo, was Luke calls it the photosynthesis or whatever he calls it, the photo window or the sun gets to a certain point in the sky every day and the fish bite. And that's, it's a thing. We all know it. Yep. There's, there's a bite a certain time of day. It doesn't matter if it's major or minor. It goes back to when we, call, when I head up to Vermilion, I call Luke and Bob and say, what's, you know, what's the story? And they say, oh, rocks have been better than me. You know, this size bucktail in this color has been good. And, and I say, when's the bite window? And that's all we know, need to know. We know when the majors and minors are. And they'll say, oh, you got a little chance at 11 and at 145, you get bit. Okay, because normally that's when you'd be running for lunch or go to the bar, take a little air conditioning break. But they're like, don't go in because 145, you're getting a bite. Okay, thanks, guys. And that's what the key is, really. And when Luke comes up, he calls us and we say, oh, no, it's uh, it's two thirty. Two thirty is the window. They're gonna bite at two thirty, and there's always a bite every day. And it's it's funny how that works. But with the, it's funny with the off moon periods too. You go to the resorts to pick up a client, you know, and there's nobody. There's no musky boats. And on a full moon, you go to a resort to pick up somebody, and every boat has musky stuff in it. It's funny these resorts. I'll ask at that Vermilion Dam Lodge or something. Say, you got a lot of musky guys this week? No, none. Really? And then the week of the full moon or no moon, all must be guys. The whole resort. Those guys book those weeks. I mean, that's, and I get it. You go to look at the woods. It's what they've been doing for 30 years. It works. It works perfectly for them. But up here with the pressure and the low number of fish, it's, you're way better off. I, I truly believe that. And this year, the way my schedule works, I'm there on the full moon. The third week of every month, I'm going to be on Vermillion. Those are my for sure the last, you know, almost 10 days of it each month. So I'm going to have a tough year there, <laughs> a very tough year. I'm really bumming about that. But next year, it won't be that way. It hasn't been that way for two years, and it's been great. 
And four years ago, it was really tough for me because I was there. On a, it was a no moon every year. So, and next year it'll just be the middle of the week, and it'll be it'll be fine. But this year is going to be rough on me on Vermillion for that very reason. But it's just a thought I always had there that it's much easier to catch fish on pressured waters off a moon period when there's less guys there fishing. So, but like Brad said too, is another really key thing is. 99% of monkey fishermen believe in the last hour of life for very good reason. But all the resorters are on the spot the last hour of sunlight. So whatever your plan was that day is blown out of the water at sundown. So getting up at the crack of dawn or maybe starting at 3.30 or 4 and getting your good spots and fishing those key spots after it's calmed down for a couple hours. I know it's not this way everywhere, but Vermilion is very tough to catch fish at night now. That seemed to end a few years ago, and me and Luke and Bob have panicked quite a few times. But if we don't have clients, we're like, let's go out. Let's go fishing. You know, we'll fish till three and never get a follow. I mean, it's weird. I just, I don't do that well at night there anymore, but I never get up at 3.30 and go out. That's a great idea. I mean, get beat the crowd, be on that spot at first light. That might be all it takes. And you can hit any spot you want because no one's out there. So that's a great point to get out early. Yeah, I, I just truly believe that if you put yourself thinking in outside the box, if you will, it's where you potentially learn what's going on. You know, if you had follows throughout the day and you know you're not going to get back on that spot, I mean, there's nothing more frustrating than saying, okay, it's prime time, it's sunset, you know, in 30 minutes. We got to get to the spot and you get there and there's a boat on it or there's two boats on it. And the next thing you know, you're going, hey, let's go to the secondary spot. So you go to the secondary spot and there's a boat on it. And pretty soon you just blew that whole half hour to 45 minutes that you were really looking forward to all day long. But you can change that by going out there early in the morning before anybody's out there. So think about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a true fact. That sundown thing is so frustrating. You'll know when you see a guy ripping around with a rooster tail from spot to spot, and then the whole window shot. You can't even get on the spot. It's so frustrating. And that's what the shoreline thing came in for me. Like, just get away from everybody. And, I mean, I have my favorite shoreline, but they're also the favorite shorelines of two or three other guys a lot of times. So, it's tough. And you're, you, those dock fish, I mean, you get one shot at them. If they don't leave that shadow of that dock, they're... They don't fall. They're not like the fish sitting on the crown of a rock that just came in from eating Cisco's. You know, they're resident rock fish or whatever. They've been living there for three weeks. They're, they'll follow you once. If you, don't, you know, if Bob went through there before me and I go through and don't see nothing, I'm, I call Bob and he'll say, yeah, I'm running the south end of Big Bay. Oh, dang it. So I just leave. I just drive 15 miles the other direction. I have to because if you don't want to fish behind Bob or Luke. You just don't want to do it. And, and when you're fishing behind a hundred other fishermen on the reef, oh man, there's nothing more frustrating. It's your song and a prayer at that point. But but it's Minnesota, so at any cast, the next cast you can catch a 57 incher after 30 guys just fished it. So there is that. But but that's one of those things. I guess you're, I think we're all going to be dealing with it. And let's let's just pray we get some cold fronts. This week looks like some colder nights too. Yeah, we're finally. I mean, they changed our 10-day. It was ugly. Three days ago, I was looking at it, and I'm going, oh, my God. You know, we're 75, 80 degrees at night, 90 degrees, 95 during the day. Um, after this little front that pushed through, they, they really, truly changed the weather pattern. So 
it's looking promising. I'm, I'm hoping that we can hold off until that second week of July minimum. And a few cold fronts or a few rainstorms, things like that, can change the whole outlook. So just hang tight. Be patient. Um, it's already changing. Uh, let's hope that it keeps continuing to change and, and mellow out here. Yeah, we need some wind. The cold nights will help. And it's still going to be flirting with it for a couple weeks, but if it can just drop a little bit, we'll be we'll be golden. And then if it stays steady, the fishing should be phenomenal. Right. I mean, really phenomenal. So I remember Truex told me one time because there's only one thing worse than a cold front in June. That's a warm front. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen it where it's bad. Uh, where it's been so cold, it gets so hot for a week. And I think everyone's probably dealt with that this week around Minnesota uh, and probably southern Wisconsin, too. I don't know how hot it's been down there, but I assume it's been hot here. But those first four or five, six days of stable, you know, lowering temps after a warm front can be pretty decent, I would say. So in my experience, so it should get pretty good here in the next couple of days. Agreed. I'm thinking. But Agreed. as long as those nights stay cool, it should be good. I had heard from Steve sure. Jensen up there in northern Wisconsin. He told me that the initial cold or warm blast that we got actually wasn't real good for fishing, but but it's finally starting to turn around. So that's good news. Yeah, I don't like the warm fronts, and just a steady, nice warm up would be great. Those super hot fronts aren't good either. That's for sure. But but it's okay. We got a long year ahead of us. It's super early yet. We got a lot of fishing ahead of us. As long as we can, I just hope for. Everyone else is take themselves of us that they can keep fishing here soon. That'd be nice for them. So, yeah, I, I almost felt like I moved to Nevada over the last two <laughs> week period. I mean, I can tell you my my yard looks like a desert. It's pretty much brown, so pretty wild. The good part about having a brown yard is you don't have to mow it. That's very true. Yeah, I I lucked out too. I felt pretty bad for any guys that were all, all week this week. I had my last week of construction to figure out before the summer of guiding. So I was up here last week and went home and worked construction this week and lucked out in air condition for four of the five days. And I couldn't imagine that's a rough way to start the season when your body's not used to it. It's fine in August to sit in that sun all day, but in June, your body is not ready for that. Actually, a few of my buddies got cold this week. You know, they're sicker than dog just because of the, it's probably how the fish feel too. So, but they'll come around. It'll, I think we're going to be, I'm hoping for that deep mud bug hatch and a great open water bite, nice warm water temps and slide the fish right into the weeds and rocks and fishing should be great this year. I'm hoping. Yeah. I think one of the, the points to this whole thing too, I mean, if you think about it, we get hung up on the pressure, the fishing pressure, I'm talking, and uh, the muskies do too. And so what do they do? We move because, honestly, you can't find a spot to fish sometimes. But secondary to that is the muskies are going to move too because they're going to go, what is going on here? I mean, it's like you're in a carpet bond area where there's this base, base, base. They're going to go and, hey, I got to get out of here. I need to go somewhere where I can relax. So think about that a little bit. You know, I mean, you can relate it both ways. So as angler pressure starts, the muskies are going to move. Well, guess what? You need to move some too. Yeah. Yeah, move around. Check new stuff. It's a fun year for that kind of stuff. It's uh, And electronics now are so awesome too. You can 
it's the learning curve way shorter than it used to be. So I haven't actually called anyone from Leech. I'm going to be up there coming up here in two weeks or not a little bit more than that, maybe, but I'll be there on Leech and haven't talked to anybody about water temps there, but Leech is big enough. It's usually fine. But that's another lake that'll have a lot more pressure. I think Vermilion and Leech are going to eat up most of Canadian pressure this year with the number of resorts, restaurants, and muskies in there. Leech has quite a good number of muskies. They're natural, so they're a little bit smarter, it seems like, but Leech can really eat up pressure, like similar to Malax. It can handle a lot of guys. You can still get on, I mean, your key rock, you know, rock piles of buoys on them aren't going to be very accessible this summer there, but there's so much stuff to fish there, and there's so much shoreline to fish, and so much to learn. That's what I love about Leech. I learn there every day. I learn so much. It's such a fun lake, but that'll be, yeah, what a great spot. Talk about getting away from pressure. You could probably go there on a moon leech there on Leech and still find a place to fish, a really good place. Absolutely, and there's giants there too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, excited to get there and not see a musky boat for six hours, even though there's 200, 300 on the lake. It's pretty fun. Are you dealing with that as well, Jeff? Up in, and I know you've got your place up north, northern Wisconsin. You kind of mentioned last year, if I remember right, that there wasn't quite as much pressure as you thought there might be. Yeah, not on certain lakes there isn't. Uh, th- there was a couple smaller lakes that I was surprised at how much pressure there had been. But then on the bigger lakes, it didn't seem like the pressure is that much different at all. So I don't know. It's kind well, of strange. I-, I could tell you that based off like, camping trips alone this year the campground last year was full every single weekend and a couple weeks like i hadn't i didn't go up this weekend but all the other weekends that i've been up there it wasn't as busy as what it seemed like the previous year so i mean i'm assuming there's more baseball games and things like that going on so i'm thinking that's going to eat up a little bit of the pressure wouldn't you think yeah for sure i think you know the sporting events you know as they start reopening and what have you uh definitely take some of the pressure but I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think we talked about this, what, two weeks ago when we had Captain Philip uh, Bowerly on. You know, for whatever reason, Leach really gets kind of left out of the equation. And it's a giant body of water, Matt said. You know, it absorbs a ton of fishermen. It's really strange to me. There's some lakes throughout Minnesota, and I'm sure there's a ton of them throughout Wisconsin, that really don't get discussed. And, And actually, they're probably really solid fisheries that nobody's really utilizing. I struggle with the idea that, you know, some of these bodies of water just don't seem to bring fishermen. It's weird. Yeah, there's certain areas that are like that. It's, it's a weird deal. I mean, lakes up around Bemidji and Cass, like they might get five guys that stay at a resort to fish there a year. You know, there's 55 inches in there. Right, right. There might be four fifty-five inches, but there's a whole bunch of mid forties, and you know, a bunch of fifties. We're not a bunch, but there's some. The top end fish is fifty-five, fifty-six, like all these lake lakes, and they get it to themselves. There's no wind, and it's, it's a gorgeous lake, and they just don't. Yeah, it's actually prettier than a lot of lakes throughout the state that guys choose to go to. That's that's yeah. the weird part too. You know, you, you're in that north woods feel, if you will, and it's really not that much further from, say, the Twin Cities or or wherever they might be coming from. It's, it's strange to me. Yeah, I agree. Like, wait a minute, gosh. Let's talk about wait a minute, gosh. <laughs> Whoever goes there, call me. Give me a report. Let's meet. I'll come fish with you. 
that's a lake that I'd like to spend more time on. But with guiding, it's always, that's one of my true loves is Lake Winnipegosh. I grew up there walleye fishing with my dad and there's giant muskies in there. I've caught some giant muskies in there. Cutfoot Sioux is very fishable population. Winnie can be tough. There's seven cabbage beds on the whole lake and they're spread out on all corners and it's just as big as leech pretty much. And there's yeah, right. monsters there. And it holds uh, the, the current Minnesota state record, which is really kind of cool. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, Winnie doesn't get talked about, you know? Oh, and never gets talked about. There's like four guys that fish it all year. Right. Four like legit dudes that are good there. And they catch big ones consistently. So it's a lake that I would, yeah. You know, I, I'd say that the current state record is was caught there. Uh-huh. Is probably broken many, many times on different bodies yeah, throughout yeah. the state, but nobody gave the old fish the wood shampoo. So, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, but the fact awesome. that that one was caught in August is pretty cool, right? right. Which right. is the thing. I mean, I don't know if I want to go down this path right now, but there's a there's a leech lake strain of fish that live in the Mississippi River, and some people don't agree with me. Some people do agree with me, and one of them's a really smart fish biologist. But there's a Mississippi leech lake strain muskie. That's not the typical leech lake strain muskie. And the Mississippi leech lake strain muskie gets very big. Look at the plantaginet, the Bemidji fish. They're very, very fat. Now, granted, the Mississippi goes through cats, but those fish look even different than the leech lake fish. I mean, they're really pale, super polka dotted, no bars at all on the cast fish. You get the Winnie, it's those giant river fish again. The super spotty foreheads and the faces with the barred sides, they're just enormous. And then Ryan Truex, one of the legends of Bemidji, has a 49 and a 51 and a half pounder caught August 17th. Both of them were caught August 17th on different years on Bemidji. The fish leave, Bemidji gets very tough. It's a 70-foot basin lake with more whitefish than any lake in Minnesota. The baitfish are huge. They're suckers. They're ciscos. These fish leave. No one can catch one. I, I can't. I tried to catch them in the water those two weeks. I can't catch them. I haven't tried hard, but the people there don't fish open water the first two weeks of August, but that's kind of known as it's impossible to catch a fish on planet or Bemidji those weeks. Not so much planet, but especially Bemidji um, can be very tough those weeks. And then all of a sudden the fish show up and they're enormous. So they've gone like to a second open water feeding. And Brian Truex has, Two fifty pounders in August 17th. Well, the state record was caught on Winnie August 19th. So there isn't any other lakes that do that. I think there's something special about those fish, and that's why when people say, you know, the western Minnesota lakes get too many fish and blah, blah, blah. Well, don't talk about planet because those are broodstock lakes. It's those fish that get put in other lakes. We want those fish everywhere. Those true giants that can get giant in August and September. Everyone talks about girth. It's so funny when I get pictures of people that say, look, I caught a 53 by 28, you know, in July. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a 22. You know, when you look at the picture or something, which the 28-inch girth is unheard of. I mean, when you pick it up, there's nothing you've ever picked up like that. It blows your mind. Another fish is half that size. I mean, half the size. And I always laugh at people. I'm like, yeah, but every 52-incher I catch on Vermillion, 19 and three-quarters to 21 inches around. And they're giants. I mean, that's a big fish, but it's only 21 inches. 
you know, and then in August they're 22. And then in September, it's like, whoa, I got a 23 Ember million. Like a 23 is a giant. Boom, Bemidji, they're all 24 and a half. All of them. You know, those fish are huge. The planet fish, the Bemidji fish, the Winnie fish are a special breed. And I, you don't see it in cast, but you see it on Winnie. You see it. And Winnie's are really special. Mm-hmm. The Winnie fish are so cool. Sorry, I went off on a tangent there, Jeff. But I had to mention that. No, that's right, Matt. One thing I like about having you on a podcast is on, on a day where I don't want to haul the mail, you I bring you on and have you on, <laughs> and then you'll do it for me. <laughs> so well, that's good. I appreciate that. Yeah, well, I don't want to wander too much. I just wanted to, I'm glad we got to talk about the heat and the calendar year. I think that's, with all the crazy weather patterns we've had the few years, I think the calendar year, what's happened to you in the past, you should probably plan on it, if you've kept track of it at all. But don't be afraid to call somebody. Email us. You know, email Backlash and ask, hey, what your typical year, you're, I'm going to Minnesota for the first time, I'm usually in Lake of the Woods. What's a good time to go? Don't be afraid to email us or text us or text me or Facebook message me and ask. I have no problem telling you. Well, this week I'd bet on an open water bite, you know, or this week, third week of July, say second week of July can be the best bite for fish on the rocks on leech and vermilion or fish showing up in the weeds and they're going to eat they're going to eat everything they're going to eat top waters bulldogs cowgirls they eat anything right they're eating they just showed up they're digesting they're eight and they're have digested for a week whatever so it's the second third week of july by calendar year but where do you you plan a trip to drive 10 hours don't do it the second week because the fish might still be transitioning from the open water you wanted to plan a trip, just text us. We'll, we'll, we'll answer your questions. You're driving from Illinois to Vermilion, never fished before. You're used to Lake of the Woods. Come up the third week of July or the fourth. Because if you come the second, it might be the best week of your whole life, but it could be the worst. But the third week, you're guaranteed. They're going to be sitting on the rock. You want to be the first guy there when they get to the rocks, let me tell you. But do you want to make the gamble? Maybe you're the right guy to make the gamble, and that's what you want. Go for broke. Don't be afraid to ask. I mean, those are the kind of things. The calendar year, every year it gets me. And that's why I always laugh when Bob said water temps are stupid. <laughs> no, they're not, Bob. Yes, they are, Matt. They're stupid, he told me. And he was right. They are stupid. The calendar wins every year. And it's just it's crazy to me. Because you can catch them opening day in open water, sure, yeah. But you can't catch 12 a day. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but. Never say never in musky fishing, but I think the bottom line truly is when's the best time to go musky fishing? You know, you can look at water temps, you can look at calendar, you can look at whatever. The best time to go musky fishing is when you can go get out there and actually fire some casts. That's that's the bottom line. I mean, it's about putting your time in. It still is. It really truly is. Don't be afraid of any of the other crap. I mean, it it really boils down to putting your time in and getting the experience on what those fish are doing. And that could be today. It could be next month. It could be eight, you know, four months from now. But the main thing is, is figure out what the fish are doing. I think Matt said it earlier. Once you have that first fish that follows, now you can relate. Now you can start adjusting. Yep. Yeah. Read the fish. They'll tell you what they want. And if you're not there on the key time, you're learning. You know, that's how you're learning what the key times are for each lake that you fish. I, I mean, we're 
guiding. So we're relating to larger bodies of water. These little lakes, we don't get a fish. I mean, sometimes these guys on the little lakes are whooping us, you know, because we're dealing with huge temperature swings and fish adjusting to huge bait swings and bug swings. And we're having to deal with these large things. And these little lakes, it happens in two days, not two weeks. So we have these key periods that we focus on. I mean, we're always focusing on catching fish, obviously, but there's little lakes too, you know, that, yeah, don't be afraid. It's the, you know, there's always something to learn all the time. And that's what makes it fun. Cause you never stop learning. You must be fishing or you die <laughs> and you never get smart, but you keep learning. <laughs> I would have to say that. Well, first you, of all, we're not very smart, Matt. We're musky fishermen. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> but some of the best musky fishermen just keep learning. No one ever figures it out. That's not possible. I feel like pan fishermen can kind of figure it out. I feel like most, a lot of walleye fishermen can get close to figuring it out. And I feel like musky fishermen, we just like puppy dogs chasing our tail over and over. And hopefully we learn a little bit as we go. But keeping your eyes open, try as best you can is all we can do. Because it's a, yeah, throw your curveballs every day. Well, Matt, I know that uh, you and Brad need to get up early in the morning, and it's getting kind of late. And so I just want to thank you for coming out and taking some time to talk muskies. As per usual, it's always great to have you on the podcast. And if anybody's looking to get in touch with you this week, how do they go about doing that? They can text me, call me, 651-357-8709, or hit me up on Facebook Messenger, or send me a uh, Instagram message, I guess. I'm kind of new to Instagram, so I'm not keyed in on that perfectly, but it's Muskie Mercenary Guide Service on Instagram. So, yeah, well, I'm fairly, like we said uh, last podcast, I had some openings and the podcasts were great. So those days up, I have very few days left. I do have the end of October. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, we're kind of leaving that open. I'm, the last few years, I feel like I've been in the wrong place. So, I haven't decided what to do that week, but I do have some few openings in the fall yet. So uh, if anyone else has questions, I'll feel free to reach out. I am guiding, so it might be a week, week and a half before I get back to you, but I will get back to you. It might take a little bit, but I'll get back to you. And don't be afraid to text me twice if I don't answer right away. I still might not get back to you for a week, but I will answer you. I promise. So yeah, that's it. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's always fun. Yeah, I like talking muskies, so never afraid to do that. Uh, I hope you have a good week. I know you've had a rough go of it the couple, last couple of days, so um, I hope everything kind of gets better. And, yeah, it was great talking to you, and we need to fish together soon. Yeah, well, thanks, Matt, for, for basically taking over this week. Uh, like you said, it's been <laughs> it's been a little bit tough, and I'm glad that you were able to be there with Brad and, like I said, pretty much you know, handle my, my end of the bargain or more than my end of the bargain. And I, th- I thank you for that. And hopefully next time I have you on the podcast that maybe I'm a little more fun to talk to because it's been a little rough, but we'll get through it and uh, life will move on and, and uh, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. But until then, we just want to thank all of our listeners for taking time out of their schedules to listen to our podcast again this week. If you haven't hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to, please consider doing that. And we will see everybody again next week.